Okay, welcome everybody to the show today. It's the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is episode 92 and a little bit of a special episode today. We got a little bit of Canadian content coming your way. Now, uh, we don't have uh, as many Canadian viewers actually as we do internationally, but I think this will be a very interesting episode for everybody included. We're going to be joined today by Tim Haraney. Now, Tim is a former racing driver himself and regularly appears on TSN, the Canada's leading sports network. He's talking about Formula One and everything, and he's one of the best guys to talk to about Formula One in Canada. So, Tim, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks very much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. So let's just give everyone a quick background on, on your racing career. Um, just looking online, you, you, of course, uh, doing some uh, GT4 stuff, I believe, uh, and uh, in the Formula Renault. Just talk about that experience for yourself and uh, you know, racing for Porsche and uh, for the GTs and everything. Yeah, sure. I mean, my racing background is pretty extensive. Like most drivers started when I was pretty young, you know, nine years old doing go-karts and, and things of that nature. And then uh, it's a little different over in Canada, say compared to Europe and kind of our ladder system and what it used to look like back when I was racing. I mean, I'm only like 38. And so I make that sound like it was a long time ago, but things have changed uh, you know, very fast over here in Canada. So for myself, you know, go-karts up into Formula Forge, uh, rookie of the year in the Formula Ford championship one year. And then the next season didn't have a great second season in, in Formula Ford, but I got noticed by a uh, Formula Renault team owner. And at the time got graduated into Formula Renault, uh, which actually turned into a feeder system into the Renault driver development program. Uh, in, to get into Formula One. So had the opportunity to uh, work with some F1 drivers when I jumped into the Renault program, which was great. Um, got to sit in on some interviews with Fernando Alonso. Uh, Nick Heidfeld actually was, was another one of them, which was great. That guy was awesome. Uh, and then from there, spent a few years in that ladder system and then jumped over to uh, Champ Car Atlantics, which was a feeder system at the time into Champ Car, which is now rebranded as, as IndyCar. Uh, so jumped in there and spent a few years doing that. Did the Daytona 24 hours, uh, which was awesome. That was a great experience. Did, uh, did, did a bunch of stuff and, and then made my way over to Europe, raced for Porsche in the FIA GT Championship, which is now I believe it's it was called like the Blancapon World Championship, or now it's called like GT World Championship. Now I believe it's rebranded as, but uh, did some a lot of racing in that. So got to experience a ton of European tracks, and uh, then started working for car companies outside of that. My sponsor sold their company, and just kind of snowballed into one thing after another. So yeah, so pretty extensive background in terms of uh, the racing for sure. <laughs> that you mentioned champ car because i bring up champ car every now and again on this podcast and it just goes completely over the head of most european <laughs> listeners but for the north americans and the canadians out there champ car is one of my favorite racing series because as a kid i used to go always to the honda or at then it was the molson indy in toronto and i used to watch also the champ car atlantic and all the other feeder races going into that so maybe just touch a little bit upon that generation of racing then in those cars and how much fun it was to be able to also race, you know, alongside some of those big Canadian heroes like Paul Tracy, for example, Alex Tagliani. Oh, man, those cars were absolute monsters. Uh, they don't 
make them like that anymore. That's for sure. I mean, those cars were, those cars were incredible. Uh, the amount of, uh, acceleration from, cause they were turbocharged from the turbos. It was unbelievable. Pull, pull your head off. Like just so kind of barbaric racing and, oh gosh, you get beat up big time in those cars, like big time. And the amount of physical fitness that you had to prepare for was is unmatched really it's you can train until you're blue in the face and you can be at such a high level of fitness which i was and once you kind of once you get into the car you're still not fit enough because it you're throwing around this monster that's like over a thousand pounds it's trying to rip your arms and head and legs off and there's G forces coming at you from everywhere. There's no power steering. Um, so yeah, those cars were, those were, those cars were incredible. I, not, not to bring like the Indy cars of today, like down, down at all. But in my opinion, those cars were, uh, you're never going to see anything like those cars ever again. So it's great that you got to go and, and actually be a part of a race weekend with, with those champ cars. Cause they were awesome. I also wanted to talk about, you, you mentioned, the Rolex 24 or it's not sponsored by Rolex. Um, yeah, the Daytona 24. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Le Mans was last week. A lot of European viewers know about 24 hour Le Mans, greatest race in the world, but I don't know how many European viewers know about the 24 hours of Daytona. Cause that's kind of the North America's big, you know, 24 hour endurance race. And I, I always tune in to watch it every year, as long as I can just talk about your experience there and how interesting it was to go through a full 24 hour race and how demanding it is on the body. Cause we've seen a lot of, you know, F2 drivers former former, former formula one drivers, pardon me, uh, race in the, in Le Mans. Um, and I believe Alonzo was in one Le Mans last year. Right. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you have so much experience going for these endurance races. Talk about your, your experience. Yeah, I mean, just to touch on on the one point that you made there off the, off the top, the the, the twenty four hours of Daytona has actually become a very big event, and it's actually become pretty big over in Europe as well. And we have a lot of European racers who are starting to come over to to race in it. You know, big name like you had mentioned, Fernando Alonso has competed in it. I was there uh, the year that he won it in the uh, I think it was Wayne Taylor Racing he was with the year that he won it in the uh, prototype division. So I mean, it, it is a, it's definitely a, a a race that has gotten really big because it kicks off racing all around the world, right, guys? I mean, like, because you have like the low in December, there's nothing really going on, and then January starts to hit, and then you've got the the roar, and then you know you've got then you've got the 24 hours of Daytona, which is kind of like I was saying, kicks everything off, and then you've got Daytona 500 after that. So it gets things fired up in terms of like racing in a 24 hour event. It's very demanding. It's very taxing. You're not really, it's not like driving like a champ car where a champ car at the end of it, you're toast. Like you're, you're done. You're done for the day. It's, it's time to pack up, you know, go home, get the ice <laughs> ice bath and go to bed because you're, you're, you're cooked with the 24 hours. It's a little more of an endurance test. Really. Uh, it's hard to sleep, uh, for, for some people. And, I think the, the physical aspect of it is quite high. You still have to be, you know, you have to be as fit as possible to do it, but you're not pushing, you're not pushing the limit. You're not flat out for the entire thing. And, and that's where that level of fitness kind of comes in. You know, you can, you can jump in a, into the champ cars and, you know, you can do a race stint, but that race stint would be like, 
you're there's at some points you're have to go to the limit again and the amount of grip grip then comes up and the amount of grip that comes up and the amount of you know muscular endurance fortitude you have to put into it and it just starts to wear you out it's hot it's you know such a punishing environment but with the uh the the tona cars it's a little bit little bit different and what's the difference like going back to let's say when you were driving uh the the champ car atlantic days and then going into things like gt cars or let's say the nissan micro cars and formula renos what would be sort of the the big differences between the different level of cars when you're going from track to track yeah that's a great question i mean because to drive like a GT car compared to like a formula car is two, two kind of totally different things. They're not really, they don't have the same characteristics. And so they don't handle the same. You don't get the same sensations with a formula car. It's very precise. You feel, you can feel everything. You can understand the car a lot faster. You can find its limits a little bit faster. Then you go over to a GT car and let's say that, you know, you're brought up in formula cars like I was making that transition for me was actually a little bit difficult because the car moved around a lot. There was a lot of body roll. It wasn't as stiff as was I, as what I was used to. And the stiffer the race car was always the better race car. And, you know, for me in the way I drove, because it's just like, I like to throw it into the corner, I like to get it in. I'm hard on the brakes, very aggressive. So it, it was hard to get used to is all I can say. I mean, the body roll kind of really threw me off, like the, the amount that the car actually like moved around, but like outside of that, it's a good experience. And you always want to, you always want as a racing driver to drive pretty much like everything and anything that you can get your hands on because it's, right. it's like, yeah, how can I compare it? I mean, what sports do you guys like to play? Well, I, I know I played pretty much everything you could think of. Um, so I mean, right now I guess I'm a big golfer. But uh, you know, I, hockey, lacrosse, football, soccer. I guess that. maybe a comparison, the sport that I play, tennis. So maybe a comparison mm-hmm. would be so going like from clay to grass or, or that too, that type of thing. In I mean, yeah. not not necessarily in terms of playing surface. Maybe if you're going, let's say, from street circuit to a natural purpose-built racetrack, it's maybe a similar uh, comparison. But Yeah, yeah. So, something like that. It's basically... You, the more you can, the more different things you can drive, the better your race craft will be, if that makes any sense, because you've driven so many different things that you get into a new car and you get onto the racetrack and you're all of a sudden like, what am I doing here? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second. This kind of feels like when I drove that one car at that one track that time ago and it liked it liked it when I did this. So, okay, maybe I'll try and do something like similar like that to see if the car likes it. And if it does, then great. So you have a better understanding of how to get the car to go fast, quicker. We see uh, all, you know, these new tracks coming up this year. Uh, NF1 Mugello was raced uh, not too long ago. Algarve's coming up. Imola's back on the, on the circuit. Uh, with all your experience racing in Europe, racing on these you know amazing tracks, can you pick one that really speaks out to you as something that was oh. so challenging for you that it, you know it was it was almost rewarding on how challenging it was, and maybe then another one that was just your favorite to drive around. Yeah, Magello was definitely one of my favorites to to drive on. It was awesome. It was so high speed. Uh, the back section was incredible. Uh, these are in like GT cars, so it was a little bit different. I mean, it'd be different if it was like uh, a formula car because the grip comes up, you know, the car's a lot stiffer, you can do a lot more with it. So the D- GT cars is a little bit different, but I mean, I, I liked, 
I liked a lot of the Italian tracks. They were awesome. Like Magella was fantastic. Uh, Imola was great. And then Monza was, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain Monza because it has so much history that, you know, once you kind of get there, you're kind of, uh, it's almost like starstruck. You know what I mean? You don't really believe that you're there and you don't really believe that you're racing on this, this racetrack that so many legends have been on. And so that, that track for me holds a special, special memory in my mind for sure. And the Parabolica is absolutely awesome. Like that's such a crazy corner. Um, what else is there? I mean, like Spa. I mean, who can not like Spa? That track is incredible. Um, now, so like Portimao, I've never driven there. So I don't know what, like for, for the F1 drivers who are heading there, and even they don't even know like what to expect, right? Because a lot of them like haven't even driven there either. So it's like one of those tracks that's actually like really weird. It's very unused. So that'll be interesting to see how they go there. And in terms of street circuits, now, did you race? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you did race on the Toronto, uh, the street circuit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, raced on the city streets of Toronto for three years, I think it was. It could have been four, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's not it's not the same as it used to be now because they've kind of uh, they've kind of like cut down on the last few corners of the track. Yeah. So that section's not as fast as it used to be. I mean, the last corner on in Toronto was just like here we go. Like it's blind. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, and then you've got a wall, you got a wall that's literally on the opposite side of the corner and you kind of, you're coming out of it and you're literally like pointed directly at the wall and you're like, okay, hopefully I'm not overstepping <laughs> the limit here because if I am, I'm going to have a nice uh, meeting with this wall here. So the track's not the same as it used to be. Uh, that's not saying it's not challenging because now they just face a lot more bumps. I mean, the track is very rough now. Like from what I've heard, speaking with Jane uh, Hinchcliffe, I mean, like he just tells me like, yeah, they gotta, you know, they gotta repave it. It needs repaving. So, I mean, I've driven on that track quite a bit. Um, there used to be a race that actually one of my favorite tracks uh, that they don't do anymore actually it was in vancouver was the molson indy vancouver i don't know if you guys ever remember that race but yeah that track was incredible i for a city street circuit that was awesome that's on that's on my top top 10 list for sure very high up on the top 10 list actually uh it's very was very fast it had this back section that was by the science center i believe it was that was like it, it was this massive kink that led onto this huge straightaway, but it was a straightaway going into the kink and it's all cement walls. And you're just like, all right, well, <laughs> let's we see how, here we go. Right. So it's kind of, you had to be very aggressive with it or else, you know, you never know what was going to happen with it. But that corner was, that, that track was incredible. And they had this awesome, awesome, like really fast left, right chicane that came out of, I think it was like the second, the second last corner, the second last portion of the racetrack before the start finish line in Vancouver. And, uh, it was so fast and you could just throw the car. It, if you're in the formula cars, you just throw it, throw it in there. And the back end would like tank slap her out a bit. And then you gather back. It was, I'm trying to remember like how, how else to explain it. It's, it's almost like the, the, the swimming, swimming pool section in Monaco. It's, it's it. kind of like that. It was incredible, but that, that racetrack was awesome. So let's talk about Canadian content since we're in here now. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of international viewers know about uh, the circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. It's the F1, big F1. Uh, but there's a lot of other really great tracks in Canada. Um, 
uh, maybe people who, who I race know about most sport, a Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, uh, another fantastic track that was built on a lot of different corners at different legendary circuits. But there's the street circuits, and the one you mentioned, Vancouver, back in the day, uh, Edmonton had one at one point in Toronto, and another big uh, venue or race is the Grand Prix Trois-Rivières um, in Canada. A lot of people pay attention yeah. to that nice racetrack in Trois-Rivières. Yeah, uh, I there too. Yeah, maybe talk about uh, the tracks here in Canada and, and how they compare to uh, tracks in Europe, because there's not a lot of attention on the tracks here in Canada. I think there could be, you know, more races in the future, more big international races in the future here in Canada. Yeah, definitely. Great, great question. I, I agree with you for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity for either adding a racetrack here in Canada or building a new racetrack here in Canada. Um, there is the appetite for it clearly when you go to the Montreal Grand Prix and, you know, you've got like almost 400,000 people for the whole weekend. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of telling you something, right? So definitely an appetite for it, a uh, 100%. Um, and we've have, we have great racetracks that are here. They may need a little bit of work to bring over the big European races, uh, but, you know, you go to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. I mean, I cut my teeth on that track. It's absolutely, inc- it's an incredible racetrack. It's, it's a driver's track. It, you don't, there's not too many of those around anymore. Right? They just don't really exist. And then you go to Tremblant, like Mont Tremblant's racetrack. Again, driver's track, absolutely incredible racetrack. Raced on it a tons of tons of times. I've done track days there for people. I've, been, I've coached people there. There's, there's just so much to say about it. But then, you know, you go to a place like Trois-Rivières, which is an amazing atmosphere. I mean, the track is okay. I mean, it's not like it's, it's, a, it's a street track, right? I mean, it's not, uh, it doesn't have anything it doesn't have like those incredible corners. Like I was saying that was that we were in like Vancouver or, or Toronto. Uh, but the atmosphere that's in Tawa for that race weekend is it's awesome. It is so awesome. The, just the whole community comes out for the entire weekend. They support it. Uh, they're great and they're and they're knowledgeable racing fans. Like they know what's going on. Uh, and it's such a great event to go to. It just is. And it doesn't even matter if you're a Canadian racing driver or if you're not. I mean, the paddock is wide open for fans to come walking in, to come up. They want to talk to you and get your autograph. And it, it's, it's, it's just great. I mean, I, I love that race. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you have like uh, Area 27 in Vancouver now. Again, incredible racetrack. Uh, I think it's just a little bit too far from like downtown Vancouver to actually maybe really do something with it. Like, I think it's just a little bit too far from the downtown scene. Uh, but again, you know, an amazing racetrack. So uh, a lot of great facilities across Canada and I, I know I'm leaving some out and I apologize. Um, but those are the ones that immediately stick into my head when you, when you ask me the question. So, yeah, I mean, like, could, could we, could we hold a, a major, another like major racing series here? Absolutely. For sure. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of on that topic, you being someone who was coming up in Canada, wanting to be a racing driver and then eventually achieved it. What would be some advice that you'd give to maybe, let's say uh, a parents or maybe a kid who's getting into karting, for example, but maybe wants to pursue a career in racing it's a little bit harder, I think, in Canada because motorsport tends to rank a little bit further down in the most popular sports compared to hockey and football, basketball, for example. So what would be yeah. some some advice for Canadians if they wanted to get into racing? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't be something that ranks that low. I mean, when you've 
when you see just like the things that I've seen with the, the viewership, like how many people actually tune in on a race weekend just to watch F1, not just to watch IndyCar, but F1 is like the numbers are huge. Like it's, it's a massive sport in Canada. We can't, we can't start saying that it's, you know, that for me, that's like old talk by saying like, <laughs> Oh, you know, it's below hockey and stuff. Actually it's not. Uh, so <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think for any young kid getting involved in motorsports now i always think that technology and the way things is the way things are going with technology take simulators for example i think that's a great way to get started nowadays and then see if you know your your son or or your daughter is is interested in it and i I would start there it's a cost-effective way of dipping your toes in the water to see if it's something you really want to get involved in and then transitioning into the go into like go karts. I mean, I've had arguments with people saying that yeah, simulators are going to kill the karting industry, and the karting industry is going to be like wiped out because of simulators. But at the same time, it's like, well, hold on a second here. You actually really do need karting. It's it just, I mean, the simulators are awesome. I'm not discrediting anything that they do because I absolutely love them. But I think there's certain things that the simulator does not offer that like real life karting does offer. It kind of gives you that sense of, hey, if I make a mistake, I'm going to pay for it, right? It teaches yeah. you how to really go wheel to wheel with other other drivers. It teaches you, uh, I think it teaches you a lot more about feel, how you actually feel something. With the simulator, you can't really feel the car because you're only getting everything through the steering wheel. If you have one of those vibration sensitive steering wheels, I can't remember what they're, what they're called. Force feedback. Yeah. Force feedback. There you go. Uh, If you have something like that, you still can't really feel it, right? You can't feel the car around you or the cart around you. You can't feel it underneath you and you can't feel that. What's it, what's it about to do? So you can't predict what it's going to do to be able to, to save it or catch it or correct understeer or maybe drive it differently because sometimes in a car, you actually need to throw your, throw your body weight against it to get it through a corner sometimes. Right. So there's all those little tiny things that you start to learn, but you take those things and you take those feelings and you put them into real cars. And I think that transition is just extremely important. So I don't, I don't necessarily think the karting industry will ever, ever go away. I think there'll be, I think there should be some sort of like a, like a branch of like going maybe from simulator to karting to cars. And if there's ever any way we could ever find a way of developing a platform like that for young Canadian racing drivers, I mean, heck, I'd love to be involved. Like when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a race car driver. That was my dream, you know, since I was like two, three years old. I want to be a race car driver, but simulators weren't around at that point. So you can't get a little feel of it. And go-karts were just, you know, a little bit too expensive for, our, my, you know, my family to, to, to be able to afford, which is, I find a big problem that comes with young drivers and how much a, a startup costs. What do you think a, a alternative could be to a, a cheaper go-kart or something that can get kids started? Obviously you have those, those stock go-karts that, you know, don't really go too fast, but if, <laughs> if, if parents want to start, start things out and not, you know, spend $10,000 on a cart, they're, you know, spending two, three, four thousand dollars on a basic little thing. Do you think there's something that could work there um, into a smaller series as a tester series to get kids into it? Yeah, there's um, I mean, it's it's funny, you know, it, it's an interesting conversation for sure, because when I started karting, it was it was different. You know, my dad and my uncle and I, we you know, we 
we built our own card. We wrenched our own card. Um, we take it to the, you know, we, we had our own little trailer, which wasn't much guys. Like it was like, <laughs> this trailer that we had was just like clinging to life. Okay. So it was like, we, we, I grew up in the middle of like Keene, Ontario, which is, you know, no offense to Keene, Ontario, but it's in the middle of nowhere. No one lives there. Right. It's like, it's like, it's a farmland. There's nothing, there's nothing there except for like farming and stuff. So, I mean, that's where I grew up. So it wasn't, we didn't have big money to spend either. So we just made it work with what we had. Now it's a little different where you've got teams, like you have carting like franchises and it's like, what? Like, ha. Huh? I mean, on one side of the, on one side of the coin, I think that that's a really smart move because you may be able to get a little more hands-on and you might be able to learn a little more about the driving aspect. But when you look at the other side of the coin and you remove yourself from that situation and you're on your own, you learn a lot more. You learn, you know, how to crew your own cart. You learn a lot more about like the technicalities of the cart. You learn a lot more about like, you know, sometimes you have to shim the cart a bit. You have to get the proper wheelbase for the thing because it's not working for you. And so I mean, there's that technical aspect that I think is absolutely huge to learn on your own. I, I really do because that's kind of the way I learned, but I learned a ton and I, it sped everything up, you know, and it, it saved us a lot of money and coaches didn't really need too many coaches along the way because I'd spent so much time in the lower categories working on my own carts and everything that I just didn't need that extra level of, of input, right? I just needed one input, just needed the engineer and maybe sometimes uh, uh, like a, like a mental coach. But outside of that, I think, you know, for getting started, like the Briggs and Stratton, I've heard that series is really, really good. It's good to just kind of jump in. It's affordable, cost-effective way of starting off into carts. I mean, the thing with carting is you have to, you're going to have to make a jump. If you want to make it your career, you have to find a way of just making that transition into the faster carts because it's like I was saying earlier with driving so many different things. The same thing applies with the carting. You need to get into the faster carts because you're going to learn way more. You need to get into the shifter carts because you, then you're going to learn even more. There's another layer of, of driving technical ability that you also need to learn with the shifting. With There's so much to it. So, I mean, starting off as, as cost-effectively as you can is important for sure. But on the other hand, I understand it is tough to, to make that transition upwards. Well, it's interesting, actually, when you're bringing up the conversation about the simulator versus the real life, because we were just talking uh, before we got on the air about different types of simulators and, uh, and steering wheels that, that we possibly could get. And I have one at home that's a force feedback. And I, you know, play regularly, weekly and stuff like that. But I went karting recently, a couple weeks ago, and I was very interested to know, could I translate what I learned in a simulator sense onto the racetrack? And I was actually very surprised that I was able to translate a lot of those skills in terms of understanding the racing line, knowing when the car is breaking traction, being able to steer into a slide, those types of things. So it eventually worked because I did get pole position, not bragging or anything. <laughs> I, I had two missed calls from Ferrari when I got off the track and everything, but you know, just trying to be modest here. But I, I was really shocked by that. But the thing that shocked me the most was the physicality. I was so done after that. My, I couldn't feel my arms. Everything was so sore. I That part to me, when you were talking about earlier about the physicality of the racing too is... That's, I think, the one, one the thing that people won't be able to translate well in the simulators is just 
how physical it is. Does does that kind of frustrate you sometimes a little bit when people think like, oh, like you're a racing driver? Like, what what do you need to be fit for? I think it, I, you know, it used to be back back in you know when I was when I was racing. That used to be like a huge issue, a huge argument. <laughs> and then it would kind of had to be like at the end of the day, it's like, look, these these people don't see you train. They don't see the amount of work that you put in inside the gym, outside the gym, all the cardio, all the training sessions that you have to go through. So it's kind of just like, you know, you just have to let that stuff go. But now, nowadays, I think it's, it's more broadcasted. It's more to the point where people do have an understanding that, you know, these guys are athletes, you know, they just are the amount of time that they put into training and, and I think F1's done a great job of like showing that. And I think, you know, also IndyCar has done a great job of like showing that. I mean, showing the amount of workouts these guys do a week, showing what goes into being a racing driver. It's a full-time job. And I don't get that sense anymore that like, hey, these guys are an athlete. I don't, I don't, I don't find that anymore, if that makes any sense. I mean, I used to for sure, but nowadays, not so much. With we're talking about the growing up Canadian and, um, and transitioning, uh, you know, coming up as a Canadian. Now, now to have these kids look up and see two young Canadian drivers on, on the Formula One grid. Um, you know, the most Canadians we've seen in Formula One, obviously in my lifetime, but in, I think forever. Yeah, uh, my lifetime too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, how important is that for the young kids? One and two, how how much of a statement does that bring for Canadian motorsports? Just to show, because you know, it's not a you know Germany, the big ones, uh, Germany, Italians, um, uh, most, of, most of Europe, French, yeah, well, Brazilian, UK. UK, UK, yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, those are the the big. You usually see, you know, two, three. There's no Brazilians on the F1 grid. There's two Canadians. You know, there, yeah, I think there's yeah. more. Canadians and there are Germans right now too. Uh, so what does that mean for Canadian motorsports and show how much power there is there, how much talent there is in Canada? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. It's massive. It's such a huge story. I mean, for, for Canadians, uh, I, I think it's like I had said, you know, I'd said this a year ago. I mean, when Nicholas was making his transition into F1, I was like, this is massive. This is such a big story. And uh, it's such an incredible story. And if you're Canadian, you should be absolutely thrilled because it's not easy to get into Formula One. Like there's 20 seats and there's how many people in the entire world, right? So, I mean, this is, it's not an easy thing just to get into F1. It's extremely difficult. So even if you've got billions of dollars, right, it's still impossible. Like it's so hard. You have to have so much talent and things have to go the right way. And I mean... It, yeah, it's a great time if you're a Canadian racing fan. And I think if you're watching or listening, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's here. We don't know how long it's going to be here for. It could be here for a long time. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be here for a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just enjoy every minute while you can. Yeah, and keeping on that theme, we talk about one of the more experienced Canadian drivers now, Lance Stroll. And I think he will be around now for, for quite a long time in, in Formula One, which is good. But Something that we've sort of been uh, kind of defending him since we've started our own channel here is obviously the the common pay driver comments that's thrown at Lance Stroll. I think Nicholas Latifi is getting it a little bit now. But I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that Lance Stroll has proven himself to be worthy of an F1 drive. So 
do you got do you get that sense too? And, and what do you think Lance's potential or ceiling is in Formula One in the next couple of years? I used to get I used to get this a lot, like back in 2017 when he went. I think it was like the first six races where he didn't even score a point, and people were like on social media in public, like just on me, like like I thought you said this guy was good and da da da. I'm like, yo, he is good. This is Formula One. I mean, it takes time. Like this takes time. I mean, it wasn't like he was like dropped into a Ferrari, like starting off his career. He's dropped into a Williams. I mean, he had to take the best chance that was handed to him. And you know what? I thought he did a great job with it. I mean, look, he set records that we will probably never see broken in our, in our lifetime. I don't, I honestly believe that. Like, so straight out the hop, I would always tell people that. And then he got his podium and then he set some records. And I was like, okay, where are, where is all, where are all these people now? Right? <laughs> They're not saying anything to me anymore. Right. And so it always felt like for the first few years, I was kind of always defending him for some reason. And it was just to me, like, I don't understand how you guys cannot, I, I, I cannot see the talent. Like he is clearly, clearly talented, right? There are certain things at the time that yes, he needed to work on and he would come out in the open and even talk about that. Like you would admit it. He was like, yeah, I, I'm struggling with the tires. I'm just struggling to figure that out. And so for him, now we're starting to see the full sort of package come, come together. Right. I mean, going two years at Williams and learning and then making a jump into another team is it's a very difficult thing to do because now you're learning from like a whole different group of people. You have to build your trust up again with everyone and you have to build your trust up again with the car and what they've done with it because you're not used to driving something like that. You're not used to how, you know, racing points at the time racing point went about their business. You're just not used to that system. So it takes a while to get comfortable again. So We've seen him now make this transition into like his qualifying is like incredible now. Like it's uh, one of the things that stands out the most to me with Lance this season is the qualifying performances are awesome, which is huge because he struggled at it for so long. But also now that the qualifying performances have gotten so good that leaves him the opportunity to learn how to actually control a race that has like podium implications involved. Right. So at the time, you know, you're fumbling in the, in the teens, right. You're 15th, 16th, 17th, qualifying 18th, qualifying 19th, racing to maybe like 14th, 13th, 12th at some times, and then maybe getting a point here or there. Now he's like facing podiums. And so for, for himself, he's done such a great job of making the transition of controlling his races and thinking of where the races are headed and thinking about his own strategy. And there's going to be times now, you'll probably start seeing it within the next five, six races, maybe where he may have to like call his own sort of strategy where the team will want him to come in and he might have to fight against that. He might have to say, well, no, listen, there's still life left in the tire. I can feel it. I'm getting the lap time. Let me just keep doing what I'm doing here and try and control my position. So I think for, for him at this moment, it's, it's, it's crucial and he's learning a ton and that is only going to serve him better for next season and next season guys look out because I think that that team is going to be awesome next year. Yeah. 
Well, he gets to work alongside Sebastian Vettel, a four-time Formula One champion. Yeah. He can learn so much from him and having Aston Martin as this new brand coming in um, with a new face. Uh, we're getting ready for the 2022 upgrades. Uh, of course, uh, the new car coming in in a couple of years. Um, it it kind of seems like the whole platter is there for Aston Martin. They have a young driver in Lance Stroll. Uh, they have a veteran that they can kind of, you know, almost teach, you know, coach Landstroll along the way and Sebastian Vettel. It's a, a massive name for them to land. Uh, and you have a manufacturer that is is big over in Europe, of course, obviously in, in, in England as well, in the UK, uh, it being their brand. You, do you find that is there is there kind of talk on how it's the perfect storm for Aston Martin to kind of make a, a big push to be one of the top three, top four um, teams in F1? Yeah, I think if you're Lawrence Stroll and you own part of Aston Martin, you, sure <laughs> you want to make sure that the brand is doing well, right? So I, I think it's a very brilliant business decision on on his part. And, you know, I think that's, you know, what Lawrence is is known for, right, guys? I mean, like he finds these companies that he's able to just turn around and and just make them so successful, right? I mean, like that's what he does. And now he's got a race team under his hands and now they're getting podiums they are battling for podiums on a consistent basis where in the past it was kind of like hit or miss. And now it's like a consistent sort of theme. And then he goes out and he purchases, you know, a major sports car manufacturing division. And it's kind of like, okay, there's something here. Yeah. This company isn't doing well right now, but I think I can turn them around and I think I can point them in the right direction. And, you know, maybe I can uh, do more with this brand. So he goes out and gets the consortium together and they end up buying most of it. And now, now he runs the thing, right? So, I mean, absolutely incredible. I think it's, I think for him, he sees F1, like Mercedes saw F1, like this is a marketing machine, right? Like, I can't remember what it was, but there was an article that was posted. I'm not sure if you guys, you guys might've seen it. There was an article that was posted, I believe it was two weeks ago. And it was kind of like, Mercedes spent so many, it was like 400 million euros on one season. And it was kind of like, okay, well, how much did they get in return? And then you looked at like what the marketing dollars were. So yeah. for like all of the, um, like all of the mentions, all of the implementation, all of like, where was this scene? And it added up to like billions of dollars in like, like added back revenue. And so really they actually like ended up making like a lot of money in return. And like, we look at like 400 billion euros and we're like, Oh my God, this is a ton of money. But to them, they're like, yeah, but we're making more, more back by selling more product because F1 and it's just such a marketing giant as well. So for Austin Martin, this is a brilliant, this is a brilliant move. And I don't think it's going to cost anyone a lot of money to put this thing together either. And so it's just, I think, I think that's why when you look at 2021, they are so geared up to have such a great season and really leverage Sebastian Vettel to help them bring that 2022 car online. I think that's one of the biggest reasons he's there for. Yeah, it's a super exciting time. And like we always talk about potential new teams coming in, but this is in a way kind of a new team and possibly a challenger to the old guard of Mercedes and I mean, even more so with Ferrari now, considering yeah. where they are. But yeah, that article was very interesting because I was actually reading about that yesterday and the fact that Mercedes and now Daimler as well, they almost have made it out, I think, in a couple seasons time where they're going to have pretty much breaking even across mm -hmm. the entire. So it's basically going to cost Daimler almost nothing 
to run the mm-hmm. Formula One team. So that's kind of why they were thinking that Toto Wolf is going to not step down or Mercedes aren't going to pull out of the sport because why would you get out now when it's going to cost you effectively nothing to run it? So I love having Aston Martin come back in uh, to the fold as well. But another team recently that just sold and is going through sort of a rebrand or a re resurfacing is Williams. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. with that, uh, obviously the historic Williams family going away from the sport now, but do you maybe see something similar happening with Williams where they're going to bring in a, maybe a Lawrence Stroll type investor and then be able to kind of build that team up? I think like first and foremost with Williams, it's like that, who are they going to get to, to, to run the team full time? Because they have an interim, a guy who's in there on the interim now taking over for Claire Williams. But it's like, is he really your guy? Is that who's really going to be doing this moving forward? I don't really think so. Like, I mean, there's just so many different aspects to that. I think the, one of the great things is, is that they've got, they've got like a secure future. You know what I mean? Like they've got something that it's, that, uh, that, they've got they've got money coming in which is great because at the at the start of the season like i mean i don't know if they were even i don't even know they were going to make the make some of the races right it was kind of like the same thing that was going on in mclaren like once the pandemic hit i mean everything kind of just went downhill from there and all these teams started to lose all this money because they weren't at racing and they're losing sponsorship because they weren't at racing. And so you had to look at the the lower level teams and how they were going to like survive and get by. And for Williams, just to make the, just to make the grid is pretty incredible, like pretty incredible. If they even made the grid this season, in all honesty guys. And I think having Doralton as a, such a major investor and backer and owner is, is, is going to do them a world of good next season. Man, next season, I bet you they're fighting like in the top 10 for sure. That's it. That'd be exactly where we want to yeah. see Williams be. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, such an iconic brand. And, and viewers of this podcast know, and I say this almost every podcast, <laughs> on how much I like, I just I have to fight to get to, you know, I think there should be 24, 26, even 28 drivers on the grid and to get these teams, more teams, more manufacturers into the sport because. 20 drivers on the grid, when you think of it, is not a lot with all the talent out there. I mean, there's like like six, seven, eight drivers that you could mention right off the top of your head that deserve an F1 seat right now. Um, with this whole cost cap coming in, we saw teams like Williams struggling back in the day, you know, Marusha or Manor or the thousand names that they went through, Caterham, HRT, those guys struggling. They ended up going out of the sport. This cost cap coming in at F1, do you see some teams maybe thinking, okay, maybe we can make something work here where we're only going to be able to spend this certain amount of money and it's capped and they can budget for that rather than knowing that they spend 400 million euros to try and become a top contender. I mean, not everyone has 400 million euros just to throw into F1 for a year. Yeah. It's a great topic that you bring up. I mean, because there's so many different levels, levels to this, right? I mean, cost cap, I think is going to be very, uh, it's going to be a good incentive to get new car manufacturers involved. Um, say like Cosworth, you know, Cosworth used to do the engines for a lot of the champ cars back in the day, but that could be another, uh, car manufacturer that if they wanted to come into formula one, then why not do something similar to like what Haas did? And now we're going to talk about how we can start, how all these teams can start sharing certain, certain things to bring more teams in. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like one or two teams added to F1 in the next six, seven years. Like I honestly wouldn't. Um, I think it's probably 
that's that would be kind of like the cap. I don't think they would want to go over like you know 24, 26 like cars on the grid because then you're kind of like you know it's not watering down the product. It's just people would be getting in the way, mm. right? Plain and simple. So it's kind of like I, I think. I think it's a, it's a great topic. I love talking about this because it just talks about the future. And like, what does that look like for Formula One? What does a cost cap actually mean? And it kind of, some people get frustrated that, oh, they're Americanizing this and whatever. And like, well, no, not really. They're saving the teams from themselves. It's yeah. literally what they're, what they're doing. And they have to. You know, I, you know, the Liberty Media, they bought this property they were like, you guys aren't doing what on social media? And then they blew up <laughs> social media, right? It's kind of like, look, this is what you're doing on the track. This is what you're spending. This is what the marketing is. This is the amount of money you could be making if we had this put in place, right? So, I mean, it only makes sense. And I think what Liberty is trying to do is obviously make back the money that they put into it and more, but try to turn this into something that even bigger than it already is yeah yeah i don't even know if it'll be possible considering how global it is now but yeah it's massive yeah it's insane but it speaking just actually on, on liberty just because you brought it up one of some of the breaking news in the last 48 hours has been that chase carey will be stepping down for next season and the ex-ferrari boss stefano dominicale is stepping in as the new ceo of formula one Maybe just get your quick thoughts on that. What do you think uh, the ex-Ferrari man can bring as the new CEO of Formula One? Yeah, I think, well, so rewinded a bit. Like I knew, so I, I had I had known that Chase Carey was starting to get out of F1. And I think when I spoke with him in Texas, you know, one of the things was he was just trying to push the Concord agreement, like get it across the finish line. and then he was going to hand the keys over to somebody else. It was, who is that other person? Was it, was it going to be? And so total wolf's name got thrown about around a ton. Yeah. And then I think a lot of the other teams had issues with that because they don't want a team principal coming out of a team and then straight into a job like that, because then there's like a conflict of interest and you know exactly what they're doing and you know how you can help blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, teams just weren't on board with that. So one of the things they put in that Concord agreement is basically saying that like, if you were a team principal or you ran one of the teams, there's an extended leave you kind of have to take from F1 if you want a job like being CEO of, of the sport. I think having uh, Dominicali, I think it's a great hire. Uh, he did a great job with Lamborghini. And he really did. That company was struggling mightily until he got in and kind of started to flip things around work with Audi a lot more to really start producing some uh really kick-ass cars in my opinion and now he's been in f1 for so long in the past and working with ferrari and like has all that knowledge as well but he's been away from the sport for so long as well too right so i mean some people will say this isn't the right guy. He used to work for Ferrari. I mean, yeah, well, he used to work for Ferrari. And then he went and worked for Lamborghini. Lamborghini's not in Formula One either. So, and now he's going to run the sport. And I think he's the right fit for it. And all honesty, he knows F1. He knows how, how it rolls. Um, I think working with Ross Braun and maybe understanding that this is a new Formula One, not the one that Bernie Ecclestone ran. Like, it's different now. Like, the way things are, way things are done. And... It's smart business, you know. Honestly, I mean, like, I think he's going to come in and do a great job. 
looking toward next year um, with, with you know some more changes and uh, the technical regulations being just a little bit you know um, changed with the with this um, the floor being a little narrower and probably keeping the same tires to try and help that cost cap because of COVID and going to the 2022 new cars. Uh, do you see that as something positive to give us something a little more not Mercedes dominant next year? Or can you see these these second? I don't know, even call them second tier teams. They're first tier teams, just not Mercedes uh, coming in. Uh, you know, it, we've seen how much McLaren has stepped up this year. How much Racing Point has stepped up this year? Red Bull just needs that. Um, they need Albon, I guess, to to be with Max Verstappen because I think he's the right guy personally. Uh, I just think he needs to grow a little bit more into the Red Bull uh, to, to be that one-two punch to, to, to battle Mercedes. And you know everyone's always sick of hearing Mercedes winning, Mercedes winning, Mercedes winning. It's like the biggest topic you could you could think of. Um, is there hope for next year in your opinion? You're, you're closer to, to these um, guys. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there is definitely hope. Uh, there always is hope. You know, with with F one with the new season, because you don't know what teams are going to be able to do, or you know, magic tricks they're going to be able to do to get themselves from like you know, middle of the pack to the to the front of the pack. I think I think doing down with the regulations is going to affect a lot of the teams in moving their cars up closer to Mercedes for sure. But I still think there is a bit of a window that these engineers can work with to bridge the gap. Now, do I think that there's going to be a team that's going to overtake Mercedes? I highly doubt it. I mean, it's <laughs> going to be, it's going to be really, really difficult to, to beat them. But I also think there's going to be some teams that could get close. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be as dominant. I don't think Mercedes will be as dominant as they have been this season. I don't see that, but I do see them still just in the top five, 100%. I just see there's going to be a couple other teams who are also going to be in that top five and who are going to be a lot closer than they are now. Yeah, that's for what sure. everyone wants to see, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I know, finally. But yeah, it's it's been an interesting season too, obviously. The fact that we even have a season, first of all, is, is great and that we're yeah, going to get a full yeah, schedule. Yeah, and also just all the new additions with the new tracks like Tyler talked about earlier, which is going to be exciting. But what, what are some of the things that stood out to you so far from 2020? I know not much from terms of you know race winners other than Lewis Hamilton, but maybe what are some other kind of highlights for you or, or something that's been on your mind that's really stood out to you so far this season? Uh, Lewis Hamilton three-wheeling it around Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> Almost forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the most impressive set of driving. Like, yeah. that, was, that was crazy. <laughs> that stands out to me big time. I, I can't explain why. It's just, it's, I mean, man, the, that guy is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I, mean, I think he was like doing something like 225, going down like hangar straight. And I'm like, like on yeah. three wheels I'm like oh my god if one of those other tires goes like see you later pal like oh my god but uh so that that the very first race of the season for me was awesome i thought that was incredible i yeah. loved it i loved seeing all these cars like the the attrition rate just drop way off all these cars are just blowing up at like just absolute carnage and then uh monza i'll never forget that one yeah, one of my favorite races favorite races of all time 100%. I've seen a lot of them, been a part of some of them. It's just like that one 
that one to me that that one i'll always remember that race yeah that was definitely one of the wild ones that yeah. it's it's great that we've had some crazy races like that I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the first race of the season i guess a lot of us kind of forget that it's been so long ago yeah, uh, yeah. but nicholas latifi almost had his first f1 <laughs> point his first f1 race right. he finished 11th i just want to talk quickly about him you had an interview with him i just saw on your twitter earlier talking about mm -hmm. uh, who he looked up to and, and you know how lewis hamilton was his idol growing up and um just maybe speak about a little bit about nicholas say uh, he's a driver that is learning a lot this year you can see the improvement i've seen from the start of the of the year to now i mean he's on par with george russell i think uh with the way he's been driving this year um if the williams gets a little bit faster i mean yeah i could really see latifi turning into how lance stroll has and growing the next two three years and really becoming a, a very true solid top half f1 driver yeah, yeah he's a He's a tough, gritty driver, you know, not afraid to get his elbows out, extremely aggressive. I've seen him close up, so I know, <laughs> <laughs> so I know like, I've gone to the go-kart track with him a couple times, so I, I know what, what he does. Uh, unbelievable talent. Just to start off when you're 13 years old and to say, like, jump in a go-kart and then you know, go quick right off the bat is that's just natural ability. Right. I mean, uh, I think so far he's had a really great season. Um, there's been some times where he's missed the mark like big time. Like I think there was one race in Silverstone. It might've been the British Grand Prix or F one seventy, but he was just way off the pace. Like just wasn't, wasn't even close. Right. Not at all. And he would admit it. Like he, he knows, uh, I think one of the great things about him is, is, is that like, he'll, he'll admit to you when, when he's, when he's not driving well, or he hasn't had a good, good race weekend. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve for sure. In that, in that respect. And I respect that because I mean, you talk to a lot of these drivers and some of them, I don't know, but some of them I know really well. And you just want to get to the point where it's like, just give it to me straight, man. Like, why are you like, don't stop beating around the bush and giving me this PR talk. Like I can see it. Like I, I, you know, it's like, it's like, you don't know. I'm not like one of the other journalists. Like I, I can see what you're doing. Like, I know what you're doing. So just talk to me about it. Okay. Uh, I think for, for him, he's just very open with all of it. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's a, that's a really good thing. I mean, because, you know, you can see him get beat up in the media a lot. If, if, if people really wanted to take shots at him, they, they maybe could. And I think, uh, for him, just owning up to everything is, is, uh, is very admirable in my opinion. Um, now as a racing driver, like I was saying, like guys, absolutely. He's lights out, uh, him and him and George, I think it was, it was back. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story about this. So it was back during, uh, when was it was lockdown might have been April or May, and they were doing uh, their the virtual Grand Prix, and he had been practicing like a lot, like a, <laughs> like a ton. And so George, George was like getting instructions from like pro gamers. Like he, like George ended up going and racing with pro gamers so he could learn the like intricacies of of the video game itself. And I remember like just him and Nicholas, they, they did this, uh, Williams, 
uh, what, it was like Williams esports things where the two of them basically just competed against each other for the day. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is going to be awesome. And sure enough, it was so good because both of them were dead even. They were so closely matched with everything that they did. And I was watching one of them would make a tiny little mistake and the other one would be faster by a couple tenths in one sector. And then the other one would make a little mistake in one sector. And the other one would keep, would make up for it in the third sector. And then one of them would get them at the fish. And it was just such a back and forth in these tiny little increments and um, seeing how the two of them went at each, went at each other was, it was sheer entertainment for me. But then I also thought when these two, when these two start like racing in F1 and going up against each other, I mean, it's going to be awesome. Like not that there's sparks between the two of them, because I think they get on very well. I think it's just from the standpoint of how competitive both of them are. And you can just see it in the lap time where it's like, one guy's going to do this. And then he's like, Oh, who did they get? and then he's going to do this. And then the other one's going to do this. And then they're going to do this. And then they're going to do this. And then, it's those little tiny back and forth things that really you can see a lot. And George's no slouch. I think George's like a generational sort of talent. And to see just Nicholas really taking it to him is, I mean, it's great. I, I uh, don't know what else to say. I know I was sitting here praising, praising, <laughs> praising, praising, but it's like, I, I don't really have much, much bad to say about any of these guys. I mean, they're absolutely incredible. Both of them, what they're doing at Williams right now. They really are. Like it's, I think it's one of the things I I'm excited to see is the day that Nicholas can outqualify George because it's like he's just knocking on the door, right, guys? I don't know if yeah, you're, yeah. I don't know if you follow the lap times at all, or of course, oh, yeah, if you always. really delve, yeah, if you really delve into that kind of stuff. But like, I mean, there's times where in qualifying he'll be off by like, you know, a tenth, and you're just like just a tenth, right? But it's like, okay, well, where did where did how did he lose it? And you kind of just you go on the F1 TV or you go wherever and you kind of just watch his lap and you kind of say, okay, made a little tiny mistake like right there. And you could just see that just pushing just a tiny, tiny bit, just pushing just that tiny, tiny bit too much. Or you could see that he's made a great adjustment with the way the car handles. And I think for Nicholas, that's where he's, he's really learned a lot. It's just how to make those adjustments with the race car to really get those last two to three tenths out of the race car. Because honestly, I think he's just as fast as George at this point. It's just those little those little tiny details with the race car. If uh, viewers watching this or listeners watching this haven't uh, seen it yet, but uh, make sure they go check out our interview with Nicholas Latifi. I did that earlier this year, and he even talking to him. We talked to him for about like 25, 30 minutes. It was only supposed to be like 15 minutes, but he just kept <laughs> talking with us. Um, you could just tell how how really genuine of a person he is, and he's, he has a great personality. He's a very nice guy. I mean, it, we didn't talk, just talk F1. We just we talked uh, about life in general as well. So if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, for listeners watching, make sure you, you go watch that because it's a really cool, interesting. This was before the F1 season even started, before COVID started. Yeah. So it gives you his real thoughts going to his rookie season of F1. So uh, definitely check that out if you if you haven't yet. Yeah, and the other thing too with the getting into the race, like I think his race starts have been absolutely incredible this year. Like if you remember back to Hungary, had he not had that pit stop not been botched by the team, <laughs> maybe finished in the points. But like his starts have been really really solid this year. And like when he gets his elbows out, Tim, like you were saying, like 
he he's a really really good racer so I'm I'm excited for him too because again I think that like he's great for the team in terms of very sponsor friendly he speaks very well you know a, a great kind of ambassador to to the team and, and to brands as well but then the kid can race as well too and and like you said the fact that he started karting so late and took a couple extra years in F2 unlike some of the other drivers like Stroll for example who went straight from F3 all the way into F1 I think that helps as well so uh, I'm I'm excited too for for the future of Latifi co-champion as you would say yeah <laughs> co-champion co-champion he would say yeah rookie of the year right that's right <laughs> the only yeah. rookie yeah, he's, the definitely, he's definitely going to be rookie of the year that's for sure <laughs> yeah. um w- one final one for me uh I I was just want to you know think of all the experience you have racing being around these guys. Is there one story or one kind of memory that that it stays in your mind as there's something just so funny about this this story that you've seen from from these guys or or, or in just in your racing career in general? Uh, maybe the funniest story of your racing career or a story that stands out for you. Oh man! I put you on the spot a little bit there. No, not at all. I mean, like, there's like so much, and then I have to sit here and think, like, what can I tell you guys? <laughs> yeah, 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 that too. Yeah, don't give us something that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the thing. Like, I, I just start. Sometimes I just start talking, and then I give up something big, and then I get in trouble for it. So it's, we'll it's save like, that for beers one day so, off camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry. Honestly, I've had such a um, not an easy road to get to to do the things that I I've always wanted to do. But I mean, I've been very fortunate to do a lot of the things I've, I've, I've done. And I think one of the big things for me is that, uh, and for you guys too, and is just always try and do something that, uh, brings you joy, uh, you know, and, and always kind of like go after your passions, no matter, no matter kind of what you got to do. You know what I mean? Cause like, Obviously, life's not easy. It's not easy right now for anybody. But I mean, the thing is, is that if you have a dream or if you have something that you love to do, by all means, go after it because you never know where it's going to take you. Just make sure you work hard at it and don't sell yourself short on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, that being said, there are so, I have so many stories. I have like a lifetime worth of stories <laughs> that that I could honestly could tell you. Um, I, I can give you one that I I. I always laugh at from the broadcasting side of things. I was actually at the, uh, I was at the Canadian Grand Prix. It was 2018 and the race had just finished. And so when the race finishes, basically what ends up happening, you don't really see it on television, but you know, the drivers get out of their car, they get weighed. uh, And then as soon as they're done getting weighed, the, the PR, representatives are there from each team to pick their drivers up as they come out of the weigh room. And then they bring them actually directly to the media pen. And then they kind of get like, it's kind of like cattle almost. They get funneled <laughs> around the world kind of deal to get all the media. And um, I can't remember where Dan Ricardo had finished, but he had a really great race. I know that. I know he was like, he wasn't, he wasn't on the podium, but I think he was like fourth or fifth or something like that and max didn't have a great race but daniel did and uh, he was in a great mood but at the end of the day it's like what am i gonna ask this guy that you know everyone you know everyone's already asked him everything and it gets to the point where these guys will just give you the same generic 
stuff over and over again because it's like if i say it to sky sports i got to go over there and say it to canale plus i got to say the same to sky sports italia so it's like they all kind of regurgitate everything they've already said and i'm like i wanted something that was a little more original and so on the thursday i'd actually had a good conversation with them and we were talking about bands and music and i'd mentioned to him to go and check out this one band called the japan droids and like, you'll love them they're, they're a great band right so I, what was that shake our shaker says it's a great band he loves it so oh yeah they're 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 a great they're a great band dude i i absolutely love the japan droids uh twice now yeah same here they're they're so they're so good man they're they're so good and and they're two piece they're just two of them exactly, two guys yeah. making all that sound is is absolutely incredible so Anyways, I had a long conversation with Ricardo because I listened to like a ton of music. We were going back and forth, going back and forth. So he remembered who I was. And his his PR uh, in the person had brought him in and I leaned over the, the fence to, to get to get their attention to be like, hey, can you bring him over here when you're when you're done there? And um, she came over to me and she was like you know, Hey, you know, do you, do you have anything to ask him? Because like, I'm not like sky sports, right. At the, at the time they didn't really know. And I was just like, they knew I was with TSN. Uh, but usually what they do is they go to like the, the, the heavy, heavy hitters before they kind of come to the rest of the world media sort of deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I want him to do something for me to the can to the camera. And I think I might be able to get sports center to run it. She's like, Oh, is it, is it going to be funny? I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to be funny. I'm not sure how much he's going to enjoy it, but I think like, it'll get, it'll get used. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, she's like, okay, great. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Cool. All right. So she brings him over and he's like, all right, what do you, what do you want to ask me? And, and I said, uh, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab the camera lens and I want you to shake it. And then when you're shaking it, I want you to say, <laughs> he's like, what do you want me to do? And he started like swearing at me. And I'm just like, dude, just do this thing for me. And it's going to work out for you. So like, stop complaining, man. I'm going to put the microphone right here. I need you to do this and it's going to work out. And he's like, ah, okay. So I got him to do it. And as soon as it was done, he, what did he say to me? <laughs> he said, he was walking out of the pen and he looks back at me and he goes, don't ever effing ask me to do that again. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'll try not to. It's good seeing you. Have fun in France. <laughs> and it was like all of the other people like from Sky Sports were like looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, that's entertainment. Like it was what we're here for, right? We're here for you that's guys. Right. He's not yeah. going to give me anything different than he gave you, but this was different and it was going to get used and he's going to get on there and it's going to be fun and whatever. Right. So, so that worked out really well. And that's a memory that, that uh, still stands out uh, to, to me for sure. I, I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Has he talked to you since? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually he, <laughs> 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 he was joking around when he said that. I think he's like, as part of, who he is right he's, yeah. he's very outspoken which is great and you know, i love it uh he had posted like he did this thing where he's like top three bands i'm listening to right now and he put japan droids as one and i like dm'd him i'm like dude you're like you like put some respect on my name you know where you got that from i'm like now you're telling everybody you're like oh japan droids yeah. 
<laughs> let, let, let me guess too you probably have some ricardo stories you can't tell us as well right yes i have <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's what i heard going around the f1 world too so <laughs> fair enough he's, he's a very good dude though yeah he's absolutely very, he's a very good dude uh you know some of those it's funny because like so, sometimes you don't really get to see the drivers like real personalities right like just they're so um buttoned down with pr talk that's kind of like sometimes you're just like I know that's not what you're like when this camera's off because I've spoken to you when this yeah. camera's off and you were a much different person. So I think uh, I think some of them really do venture out and kind of show their true selves, which I think is great for them and their brands, you know? And it's like some of them are a little more closed off and it's kind of like, I understand why and I get that. And but I think if you just kind of give people a little glimpse behind the curtain to like your personality, I'm like, I think you'll see that, you know, things can go in the right direction for you and see what a great guy you are. You know, great, great guy, great girl. You are a great driver. Um, yeah. I just think that's, uh, that's something I, I hope we start to see more of in the future. Cause when guys like Dan and Ricardo retire, right. It's kind of like, we, we need that. Yeah. You know, we need that. We need that. Yeah, I guess Lando Norris will take yeah. over that spot. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's just like it. How many more? You know, like when we watch, uh, like Leclerc, you know, talk on Twitch. He's different than how he talks to the media. Yeah, well, I think McLaren have it spot on marketing wise next year with oh Ricardo God. and Lando together. <laughs> I mean, like that you couldn't get two bigger fun personalities together. I think that's gonna be huge to who to watch them next year, and they're gonna have a great car. And they're two great drivers. Are so they? Yeah. They got it kind of a perfect storm over there mclaren yeah i definitely agree i mean especially like not only with the cars but yeah the personalities like you said i think are, are absolutely incredible i love i mean the stuff with lando i think I, I i love how he's found a way of like really integrating himself with twitch and then having twitch integrating with formula one and what he kind of does and the behind the curtains thing like he did this thing on twitch a couple of weeks ago where it was like Oh look, there's a Ferrari, and it was like a tractor that was going by. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like moved yeah. some equipment around. It's like, oh, I think that's Carlos's car for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely awesome stuff, right? I mean, it's like that's sheer entertainment, and I just like how he kind of combines the two of them. And I just, uh, yeah, I really like what he does. I'm a big fan. My favorite is when uh, we, well, we did an interview a couple months back with uh, another YouTube channel out in uh, UK, and apparently they did a video on him where they said some not so nice words about him and, and his talent and he ended up watching that video on his stream and, and then the, this channel they're great guys um yeah. they it, like, like they just got roasted in the comments so badly they had to turn off the comment section Andrew. so i guess like our goal from now on is to just get a video on lando norris's twitch stream too to yeah. to get made fun of so I, it's an interesting way to connect with the fans and it's all in good fun anyway so yeah it's it's interesting with that like younger generation the way they're connecting with them it was hilarious and he's got a great personality. I think he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I did a sit-down interview with him, um, 2019, last year. I did it last year uh, for my podcast, and uh, he was awesome, man. He was he was hilarious, and he was kind of like not too sure about me <laughs> until I was like, "Look, dude, I'm like, I don't even really want to talk about racing. I'm like, I, I want to talk about like." the gifts you make because at the time he had just come off making like i can't remember which one it was it was like these guys are all racing in 
500, but I'm in like the future 5,000. And he got his car had gotten hit and it went yeah, up in yeah, the yeah. air and started like, and it was dancing and stuff. It was so cool. It was just such a great idea. It was hilarious. And it's just like, I want to talk about that. I'm like, how did you make that? Who made it? Where did the idea come from? Like just started drilling them. And then I found out, you know, the more I talked to him about things that he liked, you know, I ended up like getting the fact that he used to ride horses like when he was younger and he used to like race horses. That's what, that's what he used to do. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody had known that, but it was kind of like, well, you know, like now people do know it because I was able to get that out of him to make him feel more comfortable with who he was talking to. Cause I wasn't just, I wasn't here for like a hot scoop. You know what I mean? I just try to tell him like, I'm not here for a hot take, man. I'm just here to, here to talk about some fun stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, my, the final question for me would be, you spoke uh, earlier at the top of the podcast about some of the the drivers that you've met, you know, talking with Fernando Alonso, for example, but were you able to meet maybe, let's say your motorsport hero or somebody that while you were racing, you looked up to at the time and said like, wow, this is, this is the guy, whether it was through Champ Car or maybe Formula One? Uh, no, actually, it never, like, so like Ayrton Senna was, to me, he, he always will be, he was the guy, right, like, for me anyways, because I thought, um, I watched, I watched Senna when I was a kid, you know, that's how I got hooked on racing, you know, you know, watching, watching formula one with my dad and I loved Ayrton Senna and his passion. And, and the older I got and the more people I talked to had, who had spoken with Senna or who knew Senna, like I, that led me to be like, I wanted to know more. Like I want to know more about this, this person, like, cause I was just so fascinated by him. Um, and seeing a lot of the onboard cameras and some of the drives that he had and some of the things that he's done and uh, he, absolutely the things that he did in a race car were uh, incredible. Like absolutely incredible because you would sit there and think, how was that possible that this guy was, that this guy did that? Like even like the drivers would question the same thing. They'd say, how is he doing that? Like no one could ever figure it just naturally gifted. You know what I mean? Like he's, I still think to this day, he's the greatest F1 driver. Just doesn't have the records to show it. But in terms of just all out sheer talent, he's, he's definitely number one in my books um, for sure. One, one of the, I think one of the great uh, driver experiences that I had and then like the champ car days and stuff was with uh, Oriel Servia. He was, uh, so I'm not sure if you guys are familiar um, with Oriel or not, but of course. he's, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's, I don't want to retire the guy because I still think he tries to, <laughs> I still think he tries to get in the Indy 500 with so I'm like, yeah. like oh, he's retired. And the next thing you know, he shows up in the 500. I'm like, oh God, he's calling me up. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Retiring yeah. me. I'm like, sorry, sorry. So I don't, I don't want to say he's retired. He doesn't race as much as he used to. I'll just leave it there at that. But, um, he was, he, he was a big help. Same, same with, uh, Justin Wilson. Um, yeah. Yeah, Justin Wilson was huge in my career in terms of just providing guidance, feedback, um, direction, you know, for sure. Cause as a racing driver, you, you can get lost quite easily and you know, you're so really know where to go and, uh, you don't really know what doors to knock on kind of, kind of deal. And so I would say Justin and Oriel for me were very big in, in my career in terms of just like giving that guidance. Um, 
Yeah, and, and Oriole was always out. He said, "You ever want to go mountain biking? We'll go mountain biking. You want to hang out? Whatever." He was very, and I was really young at the time. And you know, obviously, he was you know he was in Champ Car at the time. He was racing for Newman Haas, I believe it was a Pac West Pacific Pacific Care car. I think he was in. He was filling in for Bruno Junquera at the time. Junquera had hurt his back, and Oriole got an opportunity to jump in that car. And if if Bruno didn't hurt his back, Oriole would never get to the opportunity to show just how good he was because that was a great car, but he was an amazing driver. He went on to like win races and show Newman Haas like, Hey, like I'm the real deal. Right. And so that helped his career big time. And that taught me a lot too. Like never, never squander any opportunity that presents itself. And then I, I take that with me everywhere I go in my life for sure. Yeah, I get so much nostalgia from the names you're dropping because <laughs> I got a cap sitting at home that's been signed by Justin Wilson and Oriole Servia as well. Uh, you know, guys like Bruno Junquera, Alex Tagliani. Yeah. I chased Paul Tracy for years around the streets of Toronto for an autograph. <laughs> I finally got it before he retired. So uh, that's awesome. I, I love to always uh, reminisce about the old champ car and, and the IndyCar days. Those were those were great times. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Times. And uh, obviously, you know, rest in peace, Justin Wilson. He was always mm -hmm. really brilliant with the fans. Yeah. I remember like looking up at him thinking, how does this guy fit into this car? He was so yeah. much taller than everybody else. So, yeah, yeah he, I was uh, I was staged. So our our paddock for his very first champ car win, we were paddocked right beside Roosport and he he won and like i never saw that guy so happy in my entire life like it yeah. was crazy how happy this guy was when he got out of the car man like it was so cool to see and to be that close to him when 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 they got when, when he got a victory because i think like as a younger driver you always look up to like the older drivers like the, the guys who are already in there doing it you, you do look up to them unless they're the same age as you and then you don't really look up to them that much <laughs> But if they've been there for a while and it's kind of like you were in Formula Ford and you were watching this guy race champ car and then now you're just like knocking on the door and it's like, I watched you on television like, you know, every weekend and da 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 and you just want to kind of like spill your guts to this person and then you got to like play cool. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, uh, just let everyone know where you can check out. You have a podcast yourself, obviously, TSN Racing Podcast, uh, and all your articles and stuff are up on, on TSN. Your work's on there. But uh, just let the viewers know where they can check you out. And uh, and uh, more podcasts are always good for everyone, I find. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, I love podcasts. They're so much fun. You just yeah. start talking. And you never know what you're going to dig up either. But uh, if everybody wants to listen to the podcast, you can get TSN Racing Pod on iTunes or pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can also go to TSN's website, tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod, and you can uh, go on there. There's interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews with Lance Stroll, with Ross Braun, with Nicholas Latifi, Lando Norris, George Russell. Like I, There's a lot of stuff on there. Um, check it out uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Tim Haraney. Uh, and yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty much it, guys, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, we'll drop those links in the description yeah. below and everybody can can check you out. And, and like I said at the top, you know, we're trying to build the Canadian audience a little bit more. I know there's a lot of fans out there that follow Formula One and uh, maybe they don't want to hear analysis from people with British accents and more more something from home. So uh, hopefully people will follow your work as well as you. Uh, we see you all the time on SportsCenter as well, too. 
I know all our Dutch fans are gonna be mad. We didn't mention Max once at all. This whole <laughs> we time. did a couple times. We did a couple times. <laughs> you guys got a big. Uh, you, you guys have a big Max following, do you? Yeah, yeah. they're crazy. The yeah, they're, they're wild. I think the majority of our viewers are actually from the Netherlands. So no way, they're great yeah. fans. They they're, are, they're amazing. They're incredible yeah. fans. Like they're all, they're, they're awesome. I, I mean, if I'm Max Verstappen, I'm like sweet yeah yeah <laughs> seriously they doesn't awesome. even have to really worry about building a fan base because this right. guy's already got it right and well, it just goes to show that he's an incredible racing driver too so he's oh, good yeah. to go <laughs> let's get your opinion actually on on one of our more con- not controversial things <laughs> oh not this one no not this uh and stuff not something you think of but one of our most viewed viewed videos is is um who has a better fan base max Verstappen, in the dutch or the tifosi oh that's a good one Ooh. <laughs> you're thinking the other one. I was thinking the other one. Yeah. Because that too. Yeah, it, that's a tough one. I mean, if you go back to, I guess the Austrian Grand Prix last year. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wild. I think that's when we made the video. Single, I mean, I don't blame you. Like every single fan that was there was in orange. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, do I see that when I go to Italy? Uh, I mean, sometimes at Monza, yeah, for sure. There are stands that are just like red and white. And it's just, you, you just know those are all Ferrari fans. I mean, I think the Tifosi is hardcore though. I think like, not to say that the Dutch fans aren't, uh, but I just think there's, you, you have a, like, I don't know. Cause it, cause Italy has been in formula one for so long. Right. It's kind of like you have that generation of generation of generation of generation of generation of like of uh, Ferrari fans. Yeah. So yeah. that is a good one, though. I've never had that asked. No one's ever asked me that one before. That's a good one. It's a it's a crazy topic to think of now because it's it's up there as a yeah as one for that's sure. Close. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. The, the the other one we were joking about because we get flashbacks from this everyone because it's one of the main things we all disagree on is quickly your thoughts. Who was at fault in 2018 in Brazil? Max Verstappen or Esteban Ocon? Oh, that's the bonus. I, I, yes, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm out number three to one now, so I officially lose. <laughs> How did you think that it was Max's fault? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, Thank if you're you, Ocon, you have to like, you have to think like, this guy is leading the race. And if I come through and mess that up, I'm going to be crucified, right? And if I damage the car, I'm going to be even more trouble. And so what's the point of me unlapping myself just to show that I'm faster? When the race is already over, right? You just it just it was it wasn't a, it wasn't wasn't on. Definitely not a not a great move. And if anything, just wait until you get to the straightaway and use a DRS. Like what are you doing? That would have been the smarter idea for sure. But <laughs> can we make oh. a trade, Tim? You, yeah, you, yeah. I guess I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> Yeah. there's uh, so much more to unpack we're gonna have to do this again because this is a fantastic conversation that we had with you lots of good laughs uh, we're gonna have to to do another one of these down the line because uh yeah this was a ton of fun and there's a lot more stuff we could talk about for sure yeah absolutely. yeah i really i really appreciate it uh for having me on guys I, I, you know thanks a lot i appreciate it love what you guys are doing uh keep doing it like i was saying before we started we started recording here like uh if you guys love doing it just keep doing it and just see where see where it goes man just don't don't stop doing it that's for sure yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely appreciate yeah. your time as well tim maybe yeah. to take a this has gone on for for a good amount this has been great <laughs> so uh thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day i know you're, you're jam-packed today so Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.